0: Hello, and welcome to episode 249 of the InSquash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and we have another uh, tremendous pod today. And in fact, it's another uh, national champion uh, joining us. Recently, uh, over the last couple of months, we've had a Canadian national champion, David bayer We've had the uh, Swiss national champion, the Jet, Dmitri Steinman. We've had Malaysian national champion, Yin Yao Ning. And today... We have U.S. national champion, recently crowned, and current world number 52, Timmy uh, Brownell. And he joins us, and he does not disappoint. Uh, I guess uh, for many uh, that know Timmy, you're probably not surprised. He uh, came in and uh, showed up in a big way, and we get into a range of topics. uh, But we spend a great deal of time talking about uh, how he's uh, situated right now on the PSA Tour in a very interesting spot. And where a few good wins uh, here and there could uh, could really have him uh, or get him the points that he needs uh, so that he no longer needs to chase uh, for those spots, uh, those really uh, sort of precious and uh, hard to get spots in the gold and platinum PSA events. Um, timmy 's uh, in the in the situations or in the events where he 's managed to get a spot he's uh, he 's definitely taken advantage of of those uh, situations where he 's won a couple of rounds and and, uh, and gained some big points uh, and that actually brought him uh, his Helped to bring him to his highest ever world ranking uh, right now at world number 52. Um, And he's done that in Cleveland uh, this year and also in in the last installment of the Tournament of Champions in 2022, where he won the qualifying event and then also won his first round match. Uh, So he lost to Sarv Gosol in the second round, I believe. But uh, he's managed to do that. And he's also uh, taken advantage of, uh, well, in those Challenger Series events where he can... uh you know, if he wins those, uh, he gets some big, uh, he gets some points anyways, and a bit of prize money. And, uh, he's, uh, he's been seated, uh, one in a couple of those events that he's played and he's won them. And so he's taken uh, care of business. So hopefully, uh, this year it bodes well. So G- Timmy gives his, uh, his take on all of this and how he's found in- inspiration, uh, from his peers, like Ali Abu, Ali Aynan, uh, who's been, uh, been just recently on the pod and he's, uh, Actually, just got a spot in the in the Houston uh, Open. Uh, as, unfortunately, as a result of uh, Ali Farag uh, withdrawing due to injury. Hopefully, Ali, we want to wish him all the best. Hopefully, he's uh, you know just needs to recover a little bit more so that he can play in the events coming up, uh, the big ones coming up uh, throughout this uh, second half of the season and uh guys like Ali and also uh Dmitri they've uh, they've both made uh, some serious inroads uh so when he sees that he's obviously uh you know thinking he, uh, he's not too far off either so we talk about also uh his experience at the at the uh, the inaugural uh, Nation, nations cup in New Zealand and what it meant to him to represent uh, the US in that event uh, we also uh get his take on the parody and uh the promise within the US men's uh, squash ranks. There are five or six players who are, you know, sort of very, very close uh, in terms of level and, and the way they're playing and in the uh, world rankings right now. And uh, judging uh, from, uh, from this chat with Timmy, the entire uh, U.S. team, that entire group, along with their head coach uh, Ong Bang-hee, um, they're playing with, with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. They've got something to prove that uh, it's not just the women in the U.S., but also the men are going to be coming uh, strong over the next few years, and Timmy and I uh, talk about that and uh, several other topics as well. Just a really tremendous chat with Timmy Brownell. Now, before we get into uh, this episode, just want to talk to you about our uh, sponsor, Open Squash, the New York-based nonprofit dedicated to bringing thousands of new people into the sport by making it more accessible and more affordable for everyone. One of the ways Open Squash fulfills this mission is through their Junior Scholarship Fund, and there's something really big and exciting happening in conjunction uh, with the Tournament of the Champions. Uh, and at Open Squash, uh, they have a great opportunity for you to bid on some of the best seats in the house and or play threes with the pros uh, All and all the bidding proceeds going towards the Junior Scholarship Fund. So take part in the TOC Silent Auction uh, which comes in the form of uh, two separate packages. I guess you can take part in both. Uh, package one as a spectator. So box seats for 12 live commentated sessions. Single ticket or total box of three seats are available. Bids uh, for single box seat uh are uh, single box seat tickets. If you would like uh, the whole box of three seats, please email O'Hara. That's caroline.ohara at opensquash.org. The fourth box seat is for your PSA pro who will be live commentating. So that really sounds exciting. So package one, go to the opensquash.org website uh, for more details on that. Package two the player okay for you as a player you can play on court with some of the best players in the world you can play threes that's on tuesday january 24th with two psa uh, pros on the toc glass court it's one thing to watch the speed of the game from the stands it's another to watch from premium box seats but just imagine being on court during a psa level rally where uh, open squash is offering four 15 minute slots for what will be simply uh, simply amazing experience for any recreational player, adult or junior. So visit opensquash.org and take a look at the uh, TOC bidding uh, silent auction. And again, all proceeds go to the Junior Scholarship Fund. A really worthwhile uh, investment there. Not only do you get to, to watch uh, the TOC, but also you get the opportunity perhaps to play with the best players in the world. Speaking of one of the best uh, out there right now, he's the U S national champion. We've got Timmy Brownell on episode two, four, nine. Timmy. Hey
1: Jerry. How's it going? Sorry for Anybody? the delay. There's
0: ah. a bit of a scramble getting back home. You're right on time to, uh, I'm usually five minutes late and you're, you're two <laughs> minutes, uh late. So, uh, that's, that's perfect. How, how's Working it on my knees <laughs> Everything good. Yeah,
1: everything's good. Yeah. I was just coming and playing some, uh, Padell. I've never played it before, but I was playing with Spencer Lovejoy, Andrew Douglas and Adam Hamble, who was the old, uh, director oh, of that. national teams. So it was actually some, some crazy rallies. And like, there was a bunch of people watching. Cause, uh, I guess not many people played over there and it was, it was a ton oh, of fun. That's, uh,
0: yeah. padel is, uh, I, I, of course, right next to where I live here in, in, uh, in Dubai and, oh, yeah. um, it's huge here like their their padders paddle everywhere um, I've played a few times and I love it
1: yeah I, th- I thought it was great fun I think honestly uh squash can learn a thing or two from them because the it seems like it's pretty easy to get rallies going a lot of people that don't really know how to play can just show up and have fun and I think you know I don't know if there's a really easy way to make like squash light version but something like yeah. that where people don't need great equipment it's a bit open outdoorsy there's other stuff going on like there's basketball in the background there's music going on. It was just yeah. very friendly, and very open, and there was a lot of people hanging around and watching. It's a good environment.
0: That's great. Like uh, uh, where I where I teach at the university, I I run the paddle club, and uh, yeah. the students, they, they they can just step on court and start playing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like you said, what uh, squash can definitely learn a bit from that. Uh, just the you know whatever the ball they uh, we could use, we could play with the the squash fifty seven ball or. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Spencer actually had that idea earlier. He's like, just, you know, let people just come in and just whack it around, have some more like casual style play for the average person. Because like where we are at the Spectre Center, it's a bit of a squash purist dream, you know, but we got to make it a little bit easier for the, for like the average person that they'd say they just saw squash in there. Cause we've had this happen a lot where someone sees it and like, that's amazing. How do I do it? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly and uh yeah. Yeah, squash it i mean ima- imagine playing professional squash but the light version of professional squash i mean how how much easier on the body would that be too
1: no oh, yeah yeah i mean i don't know i don't know if i'd want to see it develop like professionally but i think <laughs> it'd be a great way to get people uh interested in a game that like might be turned away from the fact that it's kind of hard to get good rallies when you're a complete novice whereas there could yeah. be a complete novices in like tennis or paddle or padel or whatever, like all those sports pickle where they can just play. They can just show up and play and have a good time.
0: Yeah. I think there's that, there's that transition too. in just about every sport, right. I, you see it even in tennis, they've got yep. the, the kids balls and uh, you know, with, with golf or with, with anything, uh, yep. there's going to be uh, ice you know, hockey. you yeah. got the
1: light puck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Timmy, uh, it's fantastic uh, to have you uh, on the podcast. We we've been talking about it for a little while. And, um, I know our good buddy, uh, tabs, uh, helped set this one up and, uh, tabsy. <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll get into talking about that. Uh, but, uh, how, how have you, uh, how has your squash been the last, uh, little while?
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's great to, great to finally be here. I know you, you, uh, we were first trying to get this done when I was in Hong Kong and it was a bit of a nightmare over there trying to, yeah. you know, line everything up. So it didn't work out, but, uh, yeah, it was great. Like i never actually, uh, listened to your podcast until tabs, uh started sending me like excerpts and so since then i've listened yeah. to you know maybe a dozen episodes or so it's yeah. been really fun to see like you've got so many you know high class names on here it's like it was just a squash nerd dream to listen in uh, but yeah it was like we actually uh got to see tabs in person again at, at us junior open when he was here with daniel right we, on. we got him in the commentary booth a bit so it was oh, actually but, uh, really, really
0: he, good fun he's not one uh, he he's always one to to express his opinions uh he he loves to you know he's got got some pretty uh uh, strong opinions about stuff, so that's what you need in the in the commentary booth.
1: Absolutely, that's why we were gunning for him. So we got him in there for the U nineteen finals the <laughs> US <was> a-
0: <laughs> Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely- how did that go? Yeah. How
1: how did he do? He did amazing. It was great. It was really relaxed atmosphere, and he loves the squash, and so we were, we were all just enjoying the match. And it was a belter. It was, it was uh Juan Torres came back and won three uh, two against Rowan Damming in the final. Oh, right,
0: right, yeah. Uh, Rowan's from where is he from? Uh- He's in the Netherlands. Right, right, right. He got to the final of the the world juniors, didn't he? He's the world junior champion. Yeah, world he's the juniors. reigning junior champion, champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I should he's not... battling
1: right now. I don't know if he's still in it in the British, but I think yeah. yeah he is. I think I think
0: dude. he is. I think he's in the semi. Uh yeah. yeah, we're gonna gonna talk about that a bit a bit later on. But uh yeah, Timmy, I, I know you you've had uh I mean right now you're on an upward should, trajectory you're currently uh your highest ever world ranking and i just had uh ali abu alain El- El- and uh, just had him on and uh he's sort of in the in a similar spot as you he, he's he's up a bit higher than you but you look at the rankings and you look from where you are up to where he is and there's there's a lot of parity there uh, uh and, and that's got to be really exciting for for someone like you but before before we get into all that Uh, Just give us a little bit of a, you know, backstory. We know you played for Harvard. We know uh, who you are on the pro tour, but uh, how did you get into squash and uh, what uh, sort of led to you where you are today? How did did that all come about?
1: Yeah. yeah. So uh, I got into squash because of my mom. My mom actually played uh, professionally. She learned uh, when she was in college, she first picked up the racket when she was about 18 at uh, Dartmouth College. Aggie Kurtz taught her how to play. Uh, and she really fell in love with the game and, and made it her career. So I was always around uh, squash courts growing up. So she was actually a collegiate coach. She coached for Dartmouth and she was an uh, assistant at Harvard and she head coach for Wellesley College. So I was always kind of a court rat when I was right. growing up, even though I was playing a lot of other sports. Like I played ice hockey, played soccer, played baseball. Um, but eventually, as I got older, like maybe, and I'm from uh, Massachusetts area. So it's like a lot of winter sports, a lot of ice hockey going on. And uh, but when I got older, like 12, 13, I had to start uh, really picking maybe one sport per season. Yeah. Uh, and I decided to, to go with squash. And so it became a lot more serious, you know, playing on a school team on that environment. My dad teaches at Belmont Hill school, which, which had a very strong squash team, has a very strong squash team. Okay. Uh, and I was really lucky to be a part of that and get my butt kicked by a lot of older players. So that's yeah, yeah. really when I started taking it more seriously when I was right around maybe 12 or 13 years old.
0: Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, it's such a great sport when you're that age and you, and you learn so much, uh, uh, just playing in, in competitions and, uh, and uh, things like that, but you're currently 52 in the world, as I mentioned, and uh, your highest ever ranking. But to, to move up uh, in the rankings, you either uh, you know you need you need to to find a spot in a big event like you did uh, you did a few times last year, or you need to pull what Gina Kennedy did and uh, win a, a whole bunch of challenger events, uh, which you I mean you managed to do that in the tournament of champions. So just in terms of where you are now. Uh, what do you need to do to put yourself in in those spots where you where you've got where you, where you get a, a spot in, in a big tournament, and then you can end up uh, you know maybe winning a first round like you did in the tournament of champions and see your your ranking uh, move up?
1: Yes, yeah, so I've actually we've had a lot of talks about this where you alluded to like the Gina Kennedy method, which is just winning all these events, right? Because the way the tour is structured is that if you're playing if you're not in the platinum events. Uh, you basically have to win challenger te- level events to be able to move up. The points are so top heavy, so yeah. there's really no hiding from it. You know, you gotta you gotta win titles if you're playing 10ks and 20ks, uh, because there's really a, two worlds there. There's people that are in the platinums, there's people that are not. Yeah. Uh, and for me, up up until right about now, is like I have not been in the platinums, and so uh, the, like much much of the focus of the last year or two has just been trying to get my level up to to the point where I can I'm able to just to win events like that because there's no hiding. There's no finagling, ranking. We're not focused on that. We're just really trying to get my level to where I can belong in the major events. And I'm getting a little bit closer there, you know, similar, similar to somebody like, like Ali Abu, where he's made such a big jump in his level. Uh, you put him in those challenger 10 events and he's really going to be pushing for titles every time. And I think uh, even in the strongest fields. And so I think, you know, my level's tracking that direction where if I'm in challenger events, I'm going to be trying to win them. And I'm in that kind of in between period where there's definitely players in the platinum events that, like I'm on par with, or I, I think I can beat, but there's also so much work to do. And that's, what's exciting to me is that like, I have so many areas in my game, you know, technically, tactically, physically that I can improve. And so the trajectory is up, which is really exciting. And I'm really looking forward to this half of the season where my ranking is, is close. Like I think most of the Platinums I'll be able to get into tournament of champions. I'm, I'm not in cause every single person entered except for Declan James, which I've never seen before, but right. I'm basically knocking on the door of being in the platinum events, which is exciting. Uh, but the job's not done yet, and I've got to be able to to win a few more events to really get into that top forty-eight. But you know, the the goal for me has always been the same, which is just working my level, and then eventually the racket does the talking.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I was just I was going to ask you later on, but I know I noticed there's a TBD in the draw for the for the tournament of champions. Is that like that was last year? There was a challenger event that you won to get in.
1: So it sounded like that they were going to do that event again. Cause last year they had a 10 K event for people yeah. who don't know where the winner would, would win the second wildcard spot or no, I think it was might've been the only wildcard spot. Cause it was just a gold event last year. Um, and so the tournament was very strong and they put the finals on the actual glass court in grand central. Yeah. yeah. And and there were hundreds of people that showed up. They, I think they just gave away tickets for that match, yeah. uh, just to kind of test run what the TOC would be like the next day. Cause I actually had to play the next day after playing, I played Ali Abu in the finals of that event. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it was an absolute gut ripper of a match, and I had to play the next day. But uh, I, it was a big
0: success. <laughs> yeah, and I won the next day, which is uh, insane. But, I was going uh, to talk to you about that later, but th- is that TBD? That's not uh, – so The
1: TBD this year is different because they've given away one wild card, and uh, the second wild card, they're having a playoff, a one-match playoff between it. I think the, the people playing are – it's Hollis Robertson, who's a young, talented American player, and then Peter Creed is the second player. So okay. I don't know – I don't know like a little bit of stick here i don't know why they picked creed for that because creed is a legend right he's played he's played tons and tons of years on the tour he's probably played the toc you know 10 times and right. why would they why would they give him that opportunity when you know he's a class player but like he's probably going to beat hollis but yeah. what, what what does he gain from from that wild card where somebody like hollis or another young player yeah,
0: put two young there. guys in there
1: yeah exactly let the young guys get some experience in there i don't know that's a bit of a bit of a party foul there from uh from nimick who's normally on the ball but I don't know if it's because Creed's based in New York now or something like that. But he's somebody that's been in the top forty or top fifty for fifteen years, and now he's not playing anymore. So well, I don't understand why they would give, they'd give him that kind of a look. Like, just give the wild card to Hollis if they're going to do that, you know?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's that sounds a bit strange, a bit odd. So that's but the
1: TBD. They've got to play that match, and uh, Hollis could win, but I think I don't think I don't know if he has level yet to beat somebody like Creed.
0: Hmm. Uh, no, uh, I guess it begs the question then. Uh, Uh, And I've talked to this to a few other guys here on on the podcast a little bit, but you've got, I mean, they used to have qualifying, right? For for, for these tournaments. And now they've got the, they've replaced that with the challenger series. What, what do you think would be uh, what would be your preference to have these challenger series events where you can make some money, but that's obviously one of the benefits of it. But also one of the disadvantages is you're not always guaranteed a spot uh, in, in the big events with qualifying you're, you, like you said you let your racket do the talking and then you get your spot if you if you win yeah
1: I think the only issue that we're talking about here is time you know say if, if you're a young player and you're because with the way that you used to be is like if you get local spots in qualifying uh, you can really have some free goes at some of the guys that are like in the 50s and 40s in the rankings mm. um, whereas now like if you're if you're outside that top 50 55 in the world you, you really have no shot at playing those guys because they're they're basically gated right yeah. but technically with the way the points line up is that if you are that quality and you're winning challenger events, you will, you will jump in eventually. But like, it was really apparent during COVID especially where there was, there were a lot of players that were kind of in that, that mid fifties, low fifties range. They yeah. were just showing up and losing events. Like every event they would just show up and lose, but they would never have to play 10 K events. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty clear. Like they didn't have the level to really even make it past the second or third round in a 10 K but just by showing up and losing, they would be getting more points than like second place in a 10 K. So there was a lot of angst basically amongst the community of players that were like 60, 70 in the world on the way up,
0: but yeah. it
1: goes away in the long run, right? It's just going it to might take you six months. Yeah. Um, but, and I understand why they didn't want to have people flying across the world to Hong Kong to go play and you lose first round of qualifying and qualify you get no money and you, and you're just out. Oh, yeah. It doesn't yeah. add up. So I, I understand the protection factor there. Um, it's hard like, to say. Like, I, I wish there was more overlap b- between that. It's right now the incentives are aligned so that somebody that doesn't really back themselves to win 10Ks, but they're ranked at about 50 in the world, 55 in the world, can just play platinums and lose. And I wish there was a way they were more vulnerable than that. Whereas mm-hmm. a few of the most vulnerable players that were doing that maybe six months, a year ago, have now dropped. They've dropped out because so many people have been winning challenger events. Right. Like you've got a few players that have jumped out. Like, say, somebody like a good example, somebody like Nick Wall, who is yeah. stuck outside of the platinum events uh, 6 months ago uh, but as a quality player easily is beating a lot of players in the top 40 45 or yeah. aliaboo um, yeah. and now that they have are quality they've just they've just jumped a lot of the players that were kind of hiding at 50 53 54
0: 55
1: yeah uh, so it was just it's just irrelevant the the hiding because they they'll they'll just jump them but yeah, it's yeah. kind of hard to see how can you get overlap how can you prevent players from just having eight losses out of their 10 events on the rankings Yeah, because there were a lot of players like that. Charlie Lee wrote a good letter to the PSA. Mm. Nothing came out of it, but he wrote a good letter uh, where he was basically outlining how there's not enough chances for overlap between players that are playing, you know, ten events and have eight or nine losses, but their average is higher than someone that's going semis and finals of challenger events. So it's not not really clear what the answer is there yet.
0: Yeah, I used to I used to enjoy the you know these stories. You'd hear them a lot. Um, You know, someone I think it was uh, I just had on the podcast. we weren't from Malaysia. She, yeah. uh, she in, in Malaysian Open when she came back from injury, she won all her matches in qualifying. Then won through, got to the final and won that. I mean, those are kind. Of, those are dema- Those are amazing stories. Like when, and you hear every now and then you hear about that kind of thing happening uh, in qualifying. And, and uh, I think they still do have qualifying in ten- in tennis and pro tennis. They they do in a, a lot, lot of events. But uh, you know, I guess obviously for you the the Challenger Series event. Uh, the benefit as well as you, if you win them, you you get a bit of money too.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's a big boost, but they're all top heavy. You know, an interesting yeah. one to think about is I wonder um, when Mustafa was starting when because he, he people forget that he went to South America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was ranked like five fifty in the world or like six hundred in the world, and I think that they had qualifying back then.
0: So yeah, yeah. he had
1: to come through. He won like a few three twos in qualifying. Could check the math on it, but I think he had a couple of massive matches like early where if he had lost it might have changed his whole year where he ended up coming through qualifying and winning maybe two or three events there uh and it just it just springboarded him because those wins are so important early on in somebody's when they're trying to jump into those majors yeah yeah. and i'm wondering how much time it would have cost him if he really if he didn't get those those early he wouldn't have been able to enter he wouldn't have been able to enter He was 550 in the world yeah yeah. right let's say he was 550 it would take him like a good six months or a year you know He'd have to play some
0: satellites. He, he might be not be playing uh, for number one in the world this week.
1: Yes, he could. And uh, <laughs> he got a feel for Ali. Yeah, yeah. Oh God! Yeah,
0: I was, yeah. I was just wondering. I mean, he. Um, I, I thought he was coming back. I thought. It, I thought everything was okay, but I. I gather uh, with, I really with a knee know. injury. anyways, you got to be very very. There's an
1: interesting one at uh at so at US Open I, I was really uh weirded out where he was I think it was the day of the finals maybe or maybe it was the day before where. I got a text from Mike way asking me if I wanted to hit with Ali in the morning and I couldn't, I was, I was somewhere else. I can't remember why, but I, I remember thinking, why would it, he, he really didn't know if he was going to play, I think. Cause he ended up withdrawing after like a point or two, but like, yeah. if it was that much pain. Like why would he even need to test it out like that? And it sounds like, I think he did get an MRI or something. It didn't show anything structurally wrong. Yeah. So I think, I think it could just be like some wear and tear. If he's got no cartilage, I don't know what the issue is, but you got to feel for him because there's nothing, there's no hiding on a squash court.
0: No, and, exactly.
1: It looks like Asal has just got to make it to the finals and then he'd have the one-on-one spot.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, but then there's the uh, the rumor out there that he's going to be banned too, so. Mustafa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another I saw it, on, I saw it on, on one of the, uh, was it uh, Squash Stories or one of these, uh, uh, yeah, the Squash Stories page. Oh, what, what's, he, that,
1: what's he got and done this time?
0: I don't know. It might have been from a couple of months back where one of those incidents where he hit Lucas with the ball or uh, uh i don't think that. you should get
1: a ban for the lucas incident because i it, it was unintentional it yeah. was a bit rash but people do rash things all the time
0: yeah it, they, it was it like didn't, collect, that, that was like, completely unintentional yeah yeah but interesting yeah. yeah that 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 was a discussion there on, on squash stories but let's get back uh let's get back to you man um so you, let, let's just talk a little bit about this year you've had some really some some incredible highs as, uh from the in, at the beginning of 2022 obviously uh the big one was um winning the U.S nationals uh that was your first uh you know your first nationals uh title uh you came from two love down to beat uh, Shah Jahan Khan um I mean the, the U.S men's game when you start that event there might have been four or five guys who could have who could have won that. And then you ended up beating uh, Todd uh, Harity in the final. So, you know, with the four or five guys in the draw um, that could have won that event, uh, just before the event, how were you feeling heading in? And uh, obviously by winning it, what did it mean uh, to you to win that title?
1: Yeah, I think it, it meant a lot for so many reasons. I think before the event, I think it was interesting that you're right, like four or five guys could win. And He was telling us, like, even if you guys are younger and maybe a little, you know, unproven and experienced, like... Don't don't think that there's there's no reason why you guys can't win and just kind of put your best foot forward and play your game. There's no pressure on you, so yeah. definitely we had a, a mental edge there with no pressure on us, like me and Spencer and Andrew, the younger guys. Yeah, um, but I think in, in my mind personally, it was it was kind of a big deal because uh, like at the center most of the year it was it was kind of just the young guys in there training hard, like whereas everyone else was a bit scattered. It, it was it's not really proven that like the center's training was working. It was a, bit, a lot of question marks when I knew. <laughs> I knew that we were all improving really quickly. Hmm. So I just really wanted, I didn't know that I would win the event, but I wanted to show that we belonged because yeah. before it was kind of just like we were a bit of riff raff, you know, Get a bit of, um, bit
0: of the chip on your shoulder.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that just, that goes for all for PSA events as well, where I wanted to show that the Americans are, you know, we're legitimate players and we deserve to be taken seriously. And so in that event, I just really had the, the mentality of, of show that I belong uh, and just don't, don't take anything for granted, give it my best. And there were times where, like you said, I was, I was down to love against Shah Jahan, where I knew that like I've trained so hard all year and I have the body to come back from this. And I thought I was better than him physically. And I was because I, I, I absolutely broke him after the fourth game. Yeah. Um, and it, that's because of the work we did in, in the gym all year. Right. And right. so, what, we, what was interesting to me is that after that event, all of a sudden, you have guys like, like Shah Jahan and Todd Harity, wanted, they wanted to join in more, you know? And they yeah. were there all summer and we put in such a good summer of work together. And you got you to gotta think, if they go out there and they just chop us up, they're probably like, "Oh, we're doing fine on our own." Absolutely, <laughs> but yeah. but yeah. we we made a statement there at that tournament, and you know, there's there's no secret sauce there. We put in the work, and we deserved it. So w- when I went there and won the, won the title, it was kind of it was kind of reaffirming that the work that Benji's doing, the work that Bridget's doing uh, for six months a year, uh, it really was paying off, and I think it deserved a second look from some of the the hiring players, and, and it got it.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Talk about Bang He. I mean, what he's brought to the table. I know. I mean, himself, former world junior champion, and he, he had such a great career in Malaysia on the on the PSA tour. I think it was he got to the top ten in the world, and uh, he did a lot of good stuff uh, in uh, in Qatar as well. So, what's it been like to to have him? Uh, and what's he what's he like uh, uh, as a, as a coach and as uh, in terms of training, you guys?
1: Bang, bang, he is like is, is a diamond in the rough and that you would, he never talks about how great he is at squash or you never know who he is just based on his demeanor. He's such a chill guy. He just wants to hang out have a good time. He's like, my door is open, walk in whenever he's not, he just has no ego, which is something yeah. that I really love. But uh, being with him on the squash court has been pretty humbling because the way he plays and understands it is so simple yeah. uh, that he can just expose you so quickly it's not about, you know, caviar for him. It's about the meat and potatoes. So like when I showed up, when I showed up, he's like, man, you cannot play to any of the corners, man. <laughs> like oh, I was playing a corner squash, you know? Like he's he, he's literally, he he's able to take a player, like let's say if I thought that I had a complex game, he's like, it doesn't really matter how complicated you think uh, your game is. If you can't play basically to the corners and you're not efficient, you don't take good steps. So I just really love how, He's somebody that gets it, and he's and he's so skilled that he can show you really quickly where you're where you're inefficient. So like, I don't want to give away all the secrets to his to his trade, but mm. he's he just really gets the game, and he understands that it's about being simple and about being hard to break down. And like, can you do something again and again and again for time? You know, like can can you play right now? Let's say for example, right now, I play. I got to play Paul Cole and Muhammad Al shabagi in uh, New Zealand at the silver event. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I could probably play them very well for like 20 25 minutes right Mm. and then all of a sudden if i dip like 10 percent, i'm gonna get chopped yeah Uh, and so it's like but maybe a year ago i could have played with them for like eight minutes (laughs) and people don't realize that like what is the difference between playing a high level for time uh and it's it's just like how how small are your holes like are you able to do something again and again under pressure and have it back up and the answer for me in all the corners was no (laughs) like a year ago So he's just it's just to a level like he's improved me in all the areas of the court in such a simple way that the results are staggering, even though to him it's probably not that complicated. Uh, So it's been really fun to work with him because he's just such a smart guy, but he's relaxed about it and it can can be applied to anybody.
0: No, I remember watching him. uh, He played in the Asian Games final. He played um, uh, Shahad Zaman Khan. I think he's in Boston. Shahid. Yeah, Shahid Yeah, yeah. And Shahid couldn't, he's almost like the opposite uh, of uh, Bang He. He's just going for every. Cranks the ball. <laughs> and, and watching those two play was absolutely, it was priceless. It was just amazing. But you could just see like Bang He was so efficient with his movement, so calculated with his length. And that that ended up being what, what won it for him. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Shahid was uh, uh, impressive as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's So, so relaxed. Like, the Shahid as well. He, cause I grew up in the Boston area. So I saw him. Oh, you know, um, yeah. he would yeah. actually play in the, in the pro leagues where he'd play like on the Tuesday night leagues. He played playing number one for, uh, I think it was Racket club, like TNR and he'd be wearing like a sweater vest and just chopping somebody who was like a 6.0 rating. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I like why he puts a lot of foot, footage up there of him playing, you know, coaching his juniors. And sometimes I think he might get a little carried away and starts, uh, starts just hammering them. Right?
1: Yeah. No, there were some killers in that league back in the day. It was like Mohamed El Shabini was in there, John Roberts, Wayne McLaughlin. Yeah, there were some, there I were bet. some studs. It yeah. It was just the two thin-eyed beer leagues.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, just getting back to, to, to the uh, U.S. Open win, um, I mean, having when you started the event did you figure you know you had you had a shot at winning that or
1: yeah absolutely i knew like i mean just me as a player in general like my my top level is is like i have a pretty low floor and a pretty high ceiling so it's like i'm able to play a high level uh in patches and so i knew i was capable of winning the event and i knew the i knew the field and i i thought I, i could do it i didn't start the event with like i'm gonna win this event that's not how i like to think right i was just trying to be efficient do the things that we've been working on and just try to move through the rounds as they came. Uh, And I really was just like up against it in that, in that semifinal match, but coming, coming, coming back there and winning that, winning that one, I knew that with one match to go and I felt pretty good. Like I felt maybe a little fatigued, but I had no, no niggling injuries, which is a rarity in squash. You know, I felt like I could absolutely put in a huge push in the final and I had none of, none of the pressure was on me. So it was really a, it was one of those spots where I felt really light mentally uh, whereas it's normally in squash, it's so hard to to find that zone where you're able to play freely and not really think about the stakes. Even though, think about it, it probably was one of the biggest spots I've ever played in, but it just didn't feel that way. I felt so at home, and my mom was there, like Adam Hamill was there to watch, Bridges there, Venki's there, all of like those are those are all family to me, and I felt like I was just playing in my backyard. That's something that my dad always used to say to me. He goes, "Whenever you feel nervous, it's just like you're playing catch in the backyard." Yeah, you know, yeah. if I was you know pitching in little league, that's like yeah, just playing catch.
0: Yeah, Shah Jahan, I mean, heading heading into that event, I think it might have been right right around that time, he'd been playing some really good squash. And it, you, you see him a lot on the PSA. He looked, he looked like he'd taken it to another level. Just uh yep. and, and he seems to be the type of guy too that that's worked really, really hard at his game over the last couple of years.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, his backhand is phenomenal. I think he's he's mm-hmm. still working on some other areas of the court, but he'd absolutely gone up a notch or two. Uh luckily, like I've played him a lot because we were he he was in the Boston area for a little bit uh, as well. He was at Cross Court, so I played him a bunch. And uh, like for me, for me of the like, the areas of the game, I'd say I'm strongest tactically. So sometimes, to my own detriment, sometimes where I'm able to like, I'll play away from my weaknesses too much, yeah. where like I, I'm basically hiding out there. Whereas now like, I'm I'm able to play a little bit more the way you should play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so against him, it, it was really a, uh, it was interesting because like the way the game the match was played it was an interesting. Match I was basically like. It was so up and down and swing and I'm just trying to keep him off rhythm. And uh, it was an interesting one. It's on YouTube if anyone wants to watch it. But uh, absolutely, oh, was it was pushed to the end. I don't know how long it was. I think it was maybe around the 80-minute mark or so. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, absolutely hard fought, and it, he had so much pressure on him going to the event. And, you know, he competed, like, absolute class. Like, there's nothing but respect, and we shook hands at the end, and it was on to the next day, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy, uh, I enjoy watching him play. So I mean, he, he leaves it all out on the court there and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's real. like, I thought it was interesting what you said as well about having a bit of a chip on your shoulder and maybe the U S men, the five or six of you, the guys that are playing pretty well now, maybe you guys do. Cause the, the girls, obviously they're playing so well, they're, they're three or four that are right up there in the top 30. Does that uh, inspire you as well? Just to, you know, to take it, uh, try to take it to that next level. You and the other guys,
1: absolutely, absolutely. We're just getting started, and I think it's mm-hmm. it's really cool. Even for the kids, right now, you see at the British Junior Open, they're coming through and, and beating top players, beating top seeds, making the semifinals, making the finals. And I think it's really important to show those kids that you know the American players in the pro tour do belong there. And I think it, it's really helpful for them to be able to look up to somebody. Uh, whereas in the past, if we were like, oh, I don't really see anybody on squash TV playing, or I don't really, who do I look up to? Mm-hmm. We're obviously going to have all of our squash heroes, but there were no Americans really at the men's side. That are flirting with the top of the game and i think we're just starting to maybe knock on the door there we're we're, yeah. we're starting to really belong in the major events be winning matches in the major events and we still have some work to do but eventually like why not be having people in the quarterfinals of major events right in the semifinals of major events and that's just time and i think uh if we can show like that we belong there and, and kids see that there's a path and that it's working maybe somebody at 16 or 17 right now you know they could definitely be the world number one completely uncapped potential all of a sudden, they're like, oh, I really have something to look up to. They might actually take squash in a different path than they would have if, they, if there was no one to look up to. There's no path. So yeah. I think a big a yeah. a big, a big job of us right now, this current generation, is to show that there is a path and it works and that there's a ton of improvement happening and we belong at the top level.
0: Yeah, you guys have shown that, I think, uh, yourself. Uh, Andrew Douglas, uh, uh, Shah Jahan, Todd uh, uh, Harity has, in the past, and recently still been playing – Reasonably well, uh, for is it Faraz Khan? Is that right? Yeah, Faraz Khan. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I saw him on squash TV a few tournaments back, and he played. I forget who it was, but he he played some really good, inspiring squash. So, in in patches, you guys are there. So, uh, if you know, like you said, if you get if you can get into that part of the rankings where you're into those events early on, and then you get a couple of wins like like Abu uh, Ali Abu yeah. has, uh, he just. He got into Houston uh, because of Ali there uh, who dropped out. He just snuck in. The he was the first. Yeah. That's what you need, right? That, that you know stuff. Little little breaks like that, but you got to make totally. them for yourself, don't you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That that's the way I've been thinking about. It's like you just gotta you gotta back yourself and let your squash do the talking. And there's no hiding from your level, you know. Ali Abu is somebody that say he gets a break and gets into Houston. You know, he put himself in that spot to get into the top forty, and he's somebody that he gets a chance like that. He's gonna go to win, he's gonna go win a match. He's gonna go win two matches because he belongs there and he's yeah. earned that. So I think you you get excited about players like that because you know they've earned their level. And I think we're just we're just knocking on the door there for American squash where you're starting to really feel that you know, the players, it's not it's not a it's not a fluke when they beat some guy that's 20 in the world or 15 in the world, 3-1. Oh, it was an off day for them, you know. No, it wasn't. Yeah. No, they deserved the match, you know. There's been a few times like that as well, even with me where I've beaten somebody that's maybe ranked 20 or 25, and oh, it was an off day. <laughs> no, it wasn't <laughs> No, no, it wasn't. Uh, and so you're starting to see that uh, we belong. But obviously, we're, we're, ju- we're just getting started on the path. And I think it's really cool to see more players that are American men, you know, involved in the, you know, in the top 50 players, in the top 40 players. And we're going to keep pushing higher and higher. Because as you said, like the women are so dominant for us and they're really starting to – their sights are on Egypt. They're trying to push the best players in the world. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're not there yet, but we're, we're just taking that next step that we can and make, get people excited about it.
0: Oh, for sure. And it's also got to be inspiring too. I mean, I know you've beaten Ali uh, within the last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. You've also, I mean, you've beaten a few of these guys that that are playing regularly. So you've got to take, and and you've competed against um, several of them in, in the college, uh, in the varsity uh, squash back when you played. So that's got to be inspiring just to see uh, what they're doing and knowing that, you know, basically you're, you're, you're right there with them.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's exciting, exciting times. You know, I th- I think it's I think the next year, next two years could be could be really exciting for American squash.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Now, uh, you've also had uh, uh, you started the season, actually, with a win in Louisville. OK, now it's not not a squash hotbed. Uh, <laughs> don't really know. We're, much. We're working on
1: it. It's going to be it's becoming a hotbed slowly.
0: Louisville squash. So tell us about that. I mean, you were seated to win that event. It was a challenge. I'm assuming it was one of those challenger events, one that uh, you were seated uh, to win and you did win like you were supposed to. So talk about the win and also talk about uh, if you don't mind what the squash scene in Louisville is is like.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the squash scene in Louisville is actually, it's growing pretty quickly there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I stayed with somebody there named uh, Fernando Valdezan and he's really into the squash scene and he's trying to actually start a league. He wants to start a U.S. pro league, right? Because yeah, we don't really that, have a pro that's
0: league. Huge. That, that would be uh, huge. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So it, it's really in the works, and I think it's going to happen. We're going to do like kind of a test run this spring. We're going to do like a Chicago team versus a Louisville team in Louisville. Okay. Uh, so it, it could be really cool if you start to get, you know, pro players representing major U.S. cities. And if they might play, you know, say, call it like four matches a season. It could be actually really cool if you have like, you know, Boston versus New York. And just, like, on a Thursday night, people are like, oh, we can go watch the squash, and there's a cool environment and everything like that going. So there's good stuff in the works down there in Louisville. But that was the first tournament I played uh, this season, and it was really cool to just get off to the races because I, I put in a lot of good work over the summer, yeah. uh, just kind of carried the momentum through. And there were a few uh, there were a few big matches in there. Like, I, Alfredo Alfredo Avila is, like, a very uh, yeah. natural, strong player. He's been as high as, like, you know, maybe 30, 35 in the world. Uh, so he, he, he's not to be taken lightly. Like, Ali Hassan was in there safe shinawi andrew douglas there's good players in these challenger events yeah uh like i think at the time it was like
0: everybody's hungry aren't they They, you're you're the guys you i mean you think you you deserve to be where the other where the big boys are so you guys are just fighting for those spots aren't you
1: everybody right so like in those tournaments you're seeing like kwan lao someone i think like i called it last year i was like he's winning hong kong nationals wins nationals uh rory stewart's in these events you know there's a lot of Players that are that are pushing top players, but we're all there's only one winner, right? So someone's got to win the event, and I think that tournament worked out really nicely. Where you know I stayed with such an amazing family, like from start to finish, they had everything, you know, <laughs> everything was to the T. It was really easy to just show up and play and have fun, be relaxed, and that's usually what leads to the best performances. It's like how how well are you recovered, do you feel relaxed, can you play your best squash, and mm-hmm. that week we just went super smoothly, and I was able to be really fresh going into the finals. So I just had a little bit more gas in the tank, I think, with Alfredo.
0: And and what did the uh, the Louisville squash community how how did they respond to professional squash? Were they knowledgeable? And
1: they loved it. It was pretty rowdy, actually. Uh, oh, really? it, it was pretty, it was <laughs> full. It was full at yeah, the yeah. Uh, Louisville Boat Club. Uh, you know, Lee was doing a great job over there, and uh, it was it was a great atmosphere. It was like it's pretty it was pretty tight in there. It was a gladiatorial feel. It was.
0: It was okay. good energy,
1: and they had like a good dinner afterward. Like people were hanging out, asking questions. There were a lot of junior players there. It's yeah. an exciting, it's an exciting uh, time when squash is growing in areas that you didn't necessarily expect it to be. Yeah, just... that,
0: that, I mean, that's what we want too. We, we want to grow the game, and just to you know participating in that event, the, you know, that's a testament to you know to you wanting to to spread the word as well. I'm, I'm sure that's part of it too, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah. It's amazing. It's great. And they could see, they could see some American players in there. They've like people, the root for we're in the USA Jersey. It, it's great. Yeah, you know, yeah. when they, they feel like they know some of the characters and they're saying your name, let's go. It's not just their, it's not just appreciating the squash. It's appreciating the, the characters. And I think that's what leads to, you know, great success in other sports where people are really fans of individuals as well, not just teams and not just the sport. Like mm-hmm. you think about NBA where people like a lot of people don't really watch the games and they're just fans of all the star players but they'll buy the jerseys they know they know all the trade rumors and i think in squash their psa is actually starting to do a better job i think of, of like putting some content out there showing the players not on the court just yeah. getting people kind of a lot like you know building little fan bases for players in a in a different way than it's just their squash
0: oh for sure and i think there's more of a squash. i mean you know there there's several podcasts now there's also squash mad and uh, there's a bit more. There's sort of bi- a bit more drama out there. People talking about a certain ca- yeah you know, tour coaches, players, officiating, and, and that's the kind of stuff. I mean, you see it, like you said, you see it. Stephen A. Smith on on <laughs> uh, ESPN giving someone hell, right? You never yep. hear really anything like that in squash. No, uh, but you have been a little bit lately. If you've you know you've read a few uh, of those squash mad articles. So uh, all the drama,
1: all the drama is there, and it doesn't even have to be drama, too. You know, these no. a lot of the characters, a lot of the players are super likable. They've got amazing stories and they're funny. They're just yeah. not being shown to the to the audience in the correct way. Or like in the past, they haven't been. So it's harder to really root for people the same way, you know. Or if you're following them over time, kind of seeing how they develop, you can actually look forward to matches, not just for the squash. Like, oh, it's the semis of the world. You're like, oh, this person's playing that person. And I remember when they played six months ago, this went down. And this, they said this in the post game press conferences. We don't even have post game press conferences. No, <laughs> no, no, no. What exactly. are we doing? That's like yeah. the lowest hanging fruit. After they play, let them have a shower, come out, talk on the mic, and then well, all of a sudden, ask them how they about you that feel.
0: bad call that that was made at uh, you know two all eight all in the yeah.
1: It's the easiest thing to do, and the players would actually tell you how they feel. Give them some time to stew on it. Whereas when all of a sudden they're, they're sweaty, they're on the court, the MC goes up, they're going to be like, oh, it was great. I loved it. Oh, great opponent, everything. Thank you to the crowd, right? And then they leave. You, yeah. you didn't have to, you know, wait five more minutes to hear them say that. You know, let them go have a real conference. And then those clips can sometimes get more views than the games. Think mm-hmm. about like Twitter, Instagram, all those videos from other sports that go viral. It's not even the gameplay sometimes, you know?
0: No, for sure. Uh, I think you raise a really interesting point. I mean, basically, what the PSA does, like, like you said, is it's very good. They, you know, they they, they do a lot of nice, touchy-feely, uh, warm and fuzzy type of stuff. But if you have these press conferences, you could have people from the media, several different media outlets, yep. and get them in there and ask the ask the tough questions, Timmy. To
1: I literally was saying at, at U.S. Open this year. I was like, I literally will do it. <laughs> just put, okay. a board, put a cardboard thing. Put the sponsors up. Yeah. Put, put a, a bag over a big, your head. It could even be a fake <laughs> microphone. Put a microphone there. I'll sit behind the camera and I'll because I'll watch the matches. I love the squash and just have somebody ask them the questions. And the players do want to talk about it, and they all talk about it. You know, just off camera. Those yeah. all those emotions are there, and there's so many great storylines that can be told that are not being told right now. Uh, but I do think the PSA are aware of it. And they're trying, I think, you know, in New Zealand, at least like after the matches, you have, they're putting a the mic on you like maybe five minutes after. But like, again, even there, the players are still hot and sweaty. They're just, they're just gonna be like, oh, it was great. You know, right. I really think that they should formalize it, put a table down, put a mic down, let the players have, have a shower, come back, cool down, and then they'll really talk to you for five or 10 minutes about yeah. the game. You get a couple clips and that's just what every other sport does. And that's how it's so easy to just give content to people and it's something that Squash doesn't do, but should do.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And and you get a few different media people out there, not just the PSA, but other people who who won't be afraid yeah. to ask uh, uh, low hanging
1: fruit. Low hanging fruit, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Get Stephen A. Smith in there.
1: Get Tabs sing, give him the mic. yeah, and tabs, let him yeah,
0: yeah. He, he, He's the man right there.
1: What about that massive Blockenhausen at 7 on the 3rd? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't be afraid to ask the tough questions. Uh,
1: Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> but uh, you know, speaking of Tabs, uh, you also went up uh, north uh, to my homeland and uh, you won in Vancouver at uh, the band Lawn and Tennis. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, my old friend uh, Victor Berg is the pro at that yep. speaking of character speaking of guys who i'd love to watch play he was fantastic
1: <laughs> i wish i got to watch him play because because so what i've heard is that he cracked the top 40 or 30 players when he was like in his early 20s yeah. and he had to retire due to like really horrible circumstances and and yeah. he's just immaculately talented and a great swing and i think he reached the top of the world doubles yeah. rankings maybe.
0: he was right up there and he he, he had a two-handed backhand
1: yeah, what a what a beast! He's actually really funny. I think I could tell like he he really knows his squash, and he was actually he was really funny talking to me about my squash. We had a couple of drinks after the finals match. Yeah, and yeah. It was like, just just terrible, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm does. like, you're not wrong. We're working on it, <laughs> but
0: but uh, used uh, he, he to go to Vancouver and uh, and win that event as well. You were, I think, you again, you were seeded to win it, and you did win it, and uh, you also had a great billet. Uh, again uh, with, with Tabs. So uh, how did that all play out? Uh, was it uh, again, a similar experience, uh, but just a different venue to uh, Louisville?
1: I'd say it was different. It was a different experience. Uh, you know, it was also really uh, a bit hectic right at the beginning when I arrived there. Uh, when I showed up, I actually, I landed in Vancouver and uh, Tabs get me in the big truck, right? And he's like, hey, what's going on, Timmy? And I'm like, I'm all excited. My phone is blowing up because there is a drug tester at my parents' house in Boston. Oh, wow. Going, like, you're not here. We're going to fail you for this drug test. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I, it's never happened before. Uh, so I'm like, so they, I you were supposed to be there, but you
0: weren't? Is that.
1: I, it wasn't even the primary address that I listed. So they ended up basically saying it didn't count because they messed up as well. Okay. But uh, <laughs> at the time, I'm freaking out. I'm calling Bang as I'm like shaking Tabs' hand. <laughs> I'm like, what's up, Tabs? Like, hold on. My life is imploding here. But. <laughs> That's that's really a nightmare if they get a hold of you, you know, like you can get banned for six months, get banned for however long. Uh, and I'm like, guys, have you seen, have you seen my biceps? I'm not exactly doping over here, you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it ended up getting sorted out. But I, for the first maybe two or three hours at, at Tabs' place, I just went to the basement. It was like phone calling people, phone calling USADA, trying to get it all sorted out. Right. Uh, but that's that not, week was actually amazing. That we
0: don't, I mean, uh, that's not, something we hardly ever hear of. Uh, we don't, uh, I, you know, I've heard a a little, I think Tabs mentioned something about this uh, to me that that had happened to you, but uh, is this something you, you have to, it's probably, you're probably not like a UFC fighter that gets tested, you know, Uh every other week, but uh, how often does it happen?
1: It's happened twice now. And it's funny how the whole thing is quite like clandestine, you know, like the guy finished testing me and he's like, by the way, I'm also here for Spencer. I couldn't tell you until now. I'm going to go get him right now. (laughs) And I'm like,
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a whole, it's a whole process. And I think, I think it's random, but it maybe it's going to be once a quarter or something like that. Or once, once every six months, who knows? I think it's a good idea to do it. Mm. Like, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know how prevalent it is in squash. You know, it's probably not that prevalent, but I think it, it's good to have some sort of a infrastructure in place, but it was a funny start. It was a funny start to the whole Vancouver scene. Cause you know, you can tell Tab's excited. Dan, the man was all excited. And I was just like, hold on guys. I'll be up in like an hour. Just give me a second. I got to sort this out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. After that day though, it was completely smooth sailing out there. You know, I'd actually, I hit with uh, Daniel in the mornings, like he was okay. my practice partner. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Dan drop, Dan's drive,
0: the, most drive routines.
1: Yeah. We were just hitting yeah. some drops together, playing some short game and it, it really helped to, you know, and, and Dan's like, he's, he's only, you know, 12 years old, but he's so, he's actually quite keen on the game and he's super knowledgeable. It was really easy to hit with him in the morning. And I got a lot out of it. And it was really funny. He's like, Are you sure you want to hit with me? And I was like, Absolutely, dude. So okay. we, were, we oh, get man. some hits in. And uh, yeah, it was super smooth sailing. I got to see some of the other clubs. I got to see the, uh, the Jericho Club for one afternoon, yep. which was gorgeous. And I got to see the uh,
0: Arbutus. What's
1: the yeah, the exit, yeah, the Arbutus was, was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. The facilities, the, the dining, Great everything is. Awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: So Vancouver like, was a city I'd never been to. And I think that's one of the, one of the nicest places I've been to. And the whole week was just was just a ton of fun. Spencer was out there as well, so we both get we got to give uh, tabs a hard time and Bin Day his wife, and it was uh, it was a really fun week from start to finish.
0: And then then the squash, uh, how did that all play out for you? I think you you went through without dropping a game, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, yeah. Arturo Arturo Salazar was the top seed, and uh, he's he's somebody that's really skilled, but doesn't uh, like he doesn't have the biggest engine right now, and that's gonna. If you don't have a big engine, I'm just going to chop you, I think, at this point. You know, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you can't run around, you know, you're in trouble. So Arturo is immaculately skilled, and he put it all out basically in the first game. Uh, and the first game was, was a long one. It was a tie break. He was just blitzing me. I was basically just running in circles. But uh, just hanging in there long enough until he dipped a little bit, similar yeah. to how, like, say someone like Muhammad could just, you know, hit the ball hard against me for 20 minutes, and then I'm zonked. I just tried to do the same thing to Arturo and eventually he cracked and there's nothing you could do. So I got through, got through the, uh, the finals relatively comfortably. The hardest match actually came in the, uh, the second round. Uh, it was, it was really funny uh, where I played only Spanish speaking players through the whole event, which I don't think that's ever happened in a tournament that wasn't held in South America. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to check the math on that. But the second round I played this guy named Alex Reyes and he's phenomenal technique, really athletic and plays with pace. And he was really bothering me and, and the match could have gone either way. And you know, I won through love, but it was, you know, there were a few tie breaks and, you know, there's it was, a, it was a long match. It might've been 60 minutes or so, but it was, it was a good push. And that that was where I was most vulnerable in that tournament was the second round.
0: Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant stuff to win that in, in Canada. So hopefully you'll be back tabs. will make sure you get back there next year.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: I think he's going to, he's going to switch out and have love joy stay with him next time. You know, I some extra entertainment, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, also, you you played in Cleveland and 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 uh, uh, this year another pretty good result for you. You you won your first two matches. Uh, you had wins over uh, I think uh, the Jet. Is it Jet? Uh, the Jet and uh, Alfredo, uh, as you mentioned earlier. Then you lost to Yan uh, Yao in the quarters. Okay. But the, those two matches previously, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you know they both went five, and you you were both you were down in both of those. So uh, how happy were you with with the Cleveland uh, result getting to the quarters? And then what did that show? What did that tell you uh, in terms of sort of being able to back up uh, five gamers, five with another five gamer with another tough match?
1: Yeah, See, that that tournament is like pretty easily forgotten. But I think for me, it was actually really important where. It just it's it was a big event, right? It's a 30k. I've probably I don't think I've ever played. That's a big. That's
0: a big event on the calendar. I, I might
1: I might have played one 30k in my lifetime where I got in off reserves and lost first round. I think I lost to Delia first round of that other 30k. It was like five oh, years yeah. ago. Ooh. This is one of the bigger events I've ever played. Uh
0: There's, there's a guy I, with an engine.
1: Yeah, there you go. That's an engine. <laughs> uh But yeah, like it, it was it was just a really it's a big event. There's a lot of good players there, and you could argue that like you know I was really one of the bottom players in the draw. So to show that like. That I, that I really did deserve to be there. It was interesting. I got to play Alfredo when he was dead fresh first round. Mm-hmm. He's somebody that's really talented, really natural, such a good mover. And I was backs against the wall and just find a way to win and to be able to back it up. Really, it helps. Like you put something in the bank, you know, showing that you can play a big match like that and play well the next day against somebody that, again, is dead fresh. Because yeah. we were playing to play Steinman. Like Steinman was just sitting there in the first round. Like our second round. We're, we're essentially playing the play-in match. Yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah. playing guys that, that are physically had an edge on me. Uh, and I just had to figure out a way to navigate, uh, which was really cool because that's what I love to do. I love to find find a way to win tactically. And, you know, against LeJet, Le you know, he's got a big engine, as you'd say. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I played yeah, him a few times game. in the past in, in juniors, and it was a similar story where he's so powerful, he's so talented, just so explosive. And my game is just the complete opposite. So it's a really right. good clash of styles where, like, you know he's never he's never going to be able to read me he can't read me um, and so if i can just find a way to keep him uncertain it's just it went how it went when we were like 17 18 when i played him i played him at world juniors when, when uh, we were i think i was 17 he was 18 and it was a it was a 3-2 again but like physically i just i just don't match him right now he's just so he's so strong and developed and it's it's hard to break him down he takes good steps but he's just a bit he's a bit more rigid and they couldn't really read me so it was about keeping the game on my racket and i was able to do it where in like the fourth and fifth game, I started to really just take over the game and I was just holding the middle and, you know, he was just on the run. So eventually I would just squeeze errors from him. I didn't really have to mess with the tin. Uh, and it was a good win. I thought it was a good win. He was somebody that like, he's going to put a good fight and I could have easily caved. Like there were times where I, I had the opportunity to basically throw in the towel and I was like, you know what? I really think I deserve this and I belong here. So I, it was really nice mentally to really back up there because I think maybe in the past, maybe three or four years ago, I just would have thrown in the towel. So it was really, it was good to to come back from like, you know, points in the match where it was his, it was his to take. And by the end, you know, he, uh, he was, he was done. I, I zapped him. So what know? does
0: that prove to you? I mean, uh, obviously it proves to you if you can overcome those little sort of challenges in the middle of a match where your back's against the wall, you're down two one, he's got, he's in the ascendancy, you come back. And then suddenly you're in the ascendancy and it's game over. Right.
1: Yeah, it's really cool to get like some of those in the bank. Cause I, like, if you look at guys like Marwan El Shabagi or Muhammad El Shabagi, they've been doing this for 15 years. Mm. They have so they have dozens, you know, maybe a hundred matches like that where they've been completely done. Like, everyone thought they were, it was over. Right. And then yeah. all of a sudden, like, if you think, like, was it, was it Rami Shabagi, Alguna, right? Where like they both were done <laughs> or, yeah. or in the world, <laughs> you know, yeah. four yeah. match falls down. Uh, It's, it's really cool to just like maybe at a lower level than that, obviously, but just to try to get, just try to get in the mix and try to learn learn something from those matches. And so even though you could say, Oh, I just lost in the quarterfinals next tournament. I think it was one that I actually will take something away from.
0: Well, people, I mean, I mean another good example is uh, a win over um, Diego there the, the, the one. yeah, He's, who, the ball, he's two the little winner. match ball down. Just one, just one shot changed it all. I mean, it, yeah, it, he,
1: pumped, it, he pumped that Nick and you, you could see him just have a smile and he yeah, totally it, it up, he relaxed, changed the whole match.
0: Change the whole match. So, I mean, you don't know what people, how they're going to react mentally. Obviously the more experienced players won't let that affect them as much, but, uh, but obviously, uh, you know, a guy like Dimitri, he, he's learned a lot, uh, I think over the last year as well. Do you, do you feel like, uh, you'll have, uh, do you think he'll be able to read you uh, a little bit better the next time, uh, you guys play. He's been working. I don't think
1: so. I don't think so, but I think he'll be stronger mentally. I think I think both of yeah. us are in that learning phase where like it's just great for us to play matches against good players, top players, and just figure it out. You know, like I watched him play at US Open and that was I think that was just after Cleveland. And he was like a different animal. Right? He went out there and he just chopped Shah Jahan three love and then he lost three one, I think, to Diego. So right. yeah, like he's somebody that as well like, people forget how young he is. Like he's 24 or 25 um and he's also learning and and improving really quickly uh so like somebody somebody like him can take that match where he lost and be like you know what i'm gonna learn from it and i'm gonna you know be a different different human in two weeks because things change that quickly and it's really cool to see him you know bounce back and improve and he's knocking on the top 20 i think right now
0: yeah yeah so So, i mean that's inspiring for you i mean you you know you you know you and him are, are pretty close Uh, he's had some, some good wins over some good, good players, but he's been able to get into the draws and and get those opportunities. So you're, yeah, I mean,
1: he's, he's, he's earned everything he's got. And so it's really, it's cool to see, it's cool to see players that that I used to be like on par with, and now they're, they're pushing those top guys. So I think it's, it's exciting. And no, like, I know that like I'm capable of of getting there, but there's work that has to be done. There's no way around that.
0: Yeah. for sure. Now, also last year, uh, you played in the uh, the first ever uh, Nations Cup. It was in New Zealand. It was after I think there was a, a New Zealand Open or something uh, uh, there where you played Paul Cole in that event. But uh, what was the what was that experience like? The Nations Cup, and they also had this uh, strange power play rule or something that that uh, that <laughs> that was in in that event. So, uh, what was it like playing in that representing the U.S.
1: Oh, I thought it was amazing. You know, I you don't get that many chances to play for your country, and it, I was really, uh, I was really excited to put on the jersey. And it's a new format. I thought it was really exciting, and the crowd actually was was really into it. The power plays added something new, and the score was to seven. It wasn't to eleven. So, uh, if you don't
0: mind, like I don't think we're all, many people are privy to, to what happened because I don't know if a lot of people watched that event. But what what was the power play uh, all about?
1: Yeah, so the scoring was best of seven games, first to seven points, where and it'd be a sudden death, sudden death at six all. So let's say let's say you're in a power play. Each player, I don't know how many power plays they have. But I think they had maybe two power plays for the match. Uh, and when you call the power play, you, if you win the rally, you win two points. Okay. So if you think about this. I actually did something differently. I think than most people. Where a lot of people would use power plays early in the matches when they had like when they were five three up or you know if it's five all they went for a game ball. You could get a game ball at, at, at when you have five points with yeah. a power play. But right. I thought the power play has become way more valuable as the match goes on. So I think it became really it's, – it's a lot more valuable to hold on to them. And so then say late in the match, if you're down you're down 4-3 or you win a points for all or 5-4, if you go up 5-4, you essentially know you've got you know a bunch of game balls. If you win any of the rallies, you have a game ball. And if they go up 6-5, let's say they win two in a row there, then you have a game ball. You'll power play and have a game ball.
0: Right. So essentially, yeah.
1: three rallies in a row where you could outgame ball. So I think people were maybe misunderstanding that, but it was a uh, still super exciting. And you saw a few double power plays or people power play at the same time. Uh, <laughs> and the matches could be long. Some of them were over sixty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the crowd was full. It was really great atmosphere down there. They promoted that event well, and like a lot of the fans were were so super excited. You guys showing up in Superman capes for Paul Cole,
0: which was <laughs> okay, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, then what uh, was the environment like down? There? I mean, that must have been amazing. Uh, you know, him playing there, having gotten to world number one. Uh what was the what was the reaction uh, to Paul and even even Joel? Like Yeah, like- I was gonna
1: say Joel was there as well. So it was electric, you know, the crowd, they were get, they would get so up for them. You had you had schools of kids come in, in the morning as well to kind of meet everybody and get signatures. It was a really cool environment. And at night, like the lights were out, they promoted it super well. Like this guy, Steve, Steve the Maori on, on Instagram. If people want to check him out, he was he okay. did all the sounds, the, the audio, the, the power play graphics. He would talk in there and go, power play. Okay. <laughs> so it was, it was yeah. really good production and it was, it was cool. And it was actually, I think one of the first times I'd seen somebody put a, uh, it was a massive screen behind the front wall. So you could actually watch replays through the front wall okay. and the power play, graphic, they'd have graphics on the front wall. They'd have like the Superman logo when Paul came on for, <laughs> it, was, right on. it was cool. It's a different, it was a different type of production and I think it was a success. And I think they're going to have it again next year. And maybe the, uh, maybe the men's world teams are are there as well. Okay. So they could be, they could be trying, trying that stuff again.
0: Yeah. They do a lot of, uh, obviously rugby is a big thing uh, over there in New Zealand. They have all sorts of different types of these events. Like the, the, I think they even have a nation's cup or, or whatever among the, it might be New Zealand, Australia, uh, South Africa, Fiji, six different countries. So I think they might be fashioning it uh, a little bit after uh, after the rugby, uh, one of those rugby events that they have.
1: Yeah, I think uh, people like might might be uh, forgetting, but I think one of the performances of the year was Mohamed El Shabagi throughout both events there, Nations Cup and the Silver event. Yeah, where yeah. he was he was essentially untouchable. Mm. Like he he went into the the finals of the Nations Cup. I think uh, S.J. lost, like. Pretty pretty handily, uh, who was his teammate, and it was about total score. So yeah. he went in. He went into a match against Paul Cole in New Zealand, having to beat him to points because SJ lost four love.
0: Yeah. So yeah, he had yeah. to
1: beat he had to beat Paul four love and to fewer points, and he did. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on fire uh, at that, and he still is on fire. I mean, I yeah. Think-
1: people people are forgetting how good he is. So everyone's talking about Asal is going to be world War one, and he, yeah. he might be. He probably will be. And Diego's on fire as well, but. Yeah. I think the fact that Muhammad can come back uh, at his age from like a dip, maybe three or four years ago, having a dip like that and being as good as anybody in the world and as hungry as anybody and playing all those events in a row. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen, I think. And I was there, like, it was just cool. to Just kind of watch him do his thing. Like I got having, getting to play him. And even if it was an exhibition there was the coolest just to see him warm up and treat it seriously. Just kind of watching how he goes about his business there's no surprise that he's been as successful as he has for as long as he has. And to see him be that hungry for matches that technically don't matter at all. Like he went out, he went out there trying to just blow people off the court. And like, he, like he comes off the court and he, like he might talk to me and be like, I wanted to show you what it was like to play at that level. And I was like, that is amazing. <laughs> you know,
0: Cause no, he, I'm sure, sure he could
1: have been in third gear and beat me, but he, he went all the way up to sixth gear. It's, I it's mean, cool. you,
0: you must appreciate that as well then.
1: Uh, you can't buy that kind of experience like what a dream you know to see to see the best player maybe one of the best players ever yeah uh really rev up the engine like that uh in a match that he doesn't have to it just goes to show like what a true competitor he is and how like people should be taking notes on that you know (laughs) he's playing a match that technically doesn't matter and he's going to go and give everything he has for the crowd for the for the other for the opponent it's respectful of the opponent
0: yeah and he's got nothing to prove. I mean, he's done everything. Not uh nothing. and now he's got uh, I think part of this too is he's got Gregory uh, Gaultier uh, in his corner. Uh, I mean, the guy's uh in fact, his squ- his passion for squash is unparalleled. Yeah. Uh, there's no one quite like him. So the two mm-hmm. of them together, you know, it's just the magic formula right there.
1: Absolutely. I think I think Galt, like Galtier obviously is a legend. He's one of my heroes. I think you know, it's not like he gave something to Muhammad that Muhammad didn't have. I think it's just he's helped wake up a part of muhammad that might have been asleep for about a year yeah and it's just so cool to poked see the bear he's poked the bear he's absolutely poked the bear and now the bear is on tour <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah oh 100 yeah uh now just for you know you've been great with your time timmy i just wanted to ask you a little bit uh about your time with uh you know at harvard and you were under the great uh, mike way during that time and it goes without saying he's a Another, uh, an absolute legend of the game. Um, and just wondering, uh, uh, obviously, he had a tremendous impact on your squash and how you developed uh, as a player during that time. So uh, just speak uh, about, uh, you know, what it was like to play play for Mike for all those years and all, all the success uh, you had there at Harvard.
1: Yeah, so I think, uh, I think I was part of a really special time uh, at Harvard in particular, where I think a lot of the players in the team were just so – they were so willing to to put so much of themselves towards a common goal that it was just really easy to be a part of it, where you didn't have to really worry about, especially my, my last two years there, you really didn't have to worry about players kind of slacking off or not being committed. Everyone was so bought in and so keen on the squash that it was just a really good environment to be a part of. You know, and sometimes you actually had to pump the brakes on guys. Like if, if, say, somebody like Victor was pushing himself a little bit too hard, you know, Mike sometimes would be like, Victor, you're not allowed to the courts today. <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> and uh that's i think that's just a phenomenal environment to be a part of and that was everything i hoped it would be when i was looking at colleges i knew that i wanted to be around like-minded people that just really enjoyed the game and you didn't really have, you don't have to coax them out someone could text on a sunday being like anyone want to play today and then they'd have five responses you okay. know and just hacking around um but yeah it was it was really a really exciting time and i think mike mike's done one of the best things i think mike has done over the years is learn uh, where when he first started coaching, I think maybe maybe he was just going for. There were a few players maybe he went after that were just kind of shiny objects, great players, uh, but might not have been somebody that he want on his team. Uh, and, the, the, and he realized I think that culture is the most important thing you can build, culture and talent. So like I think he did. He's done such a good job of putting a great group of guys together, men and women, uh, where they're they're just gonna. He can just let them do their thing, right? He doesn't have to worry about. You know, the, the, the train falling off the tracks. So I think, I think that's one of his greatest strengths that people don't realize is that he's able to spot uh, people with, with good character that are going to be good teammates. And I think uh, you're starting to see some of that at other colleges now, too, where they're putting, you know, the culture first. And then you're seeing the, the buy-in is what yields uh, amazing teams.
0: Yeah, that's the template isn't it uh, you now just in terms, because i know i I've spent a little bit of time on court with Mike way back in the day and I know his expectations uh i mean of his players are are very he sets a high standard but as you mentioned you know uh in terms of uh recruitment that's what he looks for but what are his uh what are his standards uh you know just to give us an idea like what does he accept ex- what did he expect uh you to do as a player and as a teammate.
1: Yeah, so I think you just hit the nail on the head there where it's like he's not expecting you to, oh, hit this drop like this or hit that drive like that. He expects things of you like show up every day, be there for your teammates. When someone needs you, you help them out. Things like that, right? You want to be able to be relied on. So it's super it's super important that, like I I really respect that out of him, that he wasn't necessarily like, oh, your game is off like this. Let me help you. It's more like if he puts everybody in a place where we're going to be good teammates, good friends, like the the squash is going to sort of take care of itself because we're going to, the environment for training is so good that people are into it. Cause in college, you don't really have in America, you don't have that much free time. People are kind of stretched thin, you know, you're not sleeping enough, you know, you're, you got other stuff going on. So if you can get people to really buy into the team and, you know, want to take care of themselves, want to be a great player teammate for their friends. Like that's, that's the biggest driver. It's way more powerful than any, external coach or person just telling you do this do that if you want to do that for your friends your teammates then that's more you're going to have such better results than you could ever have by somebody trying to kick your butt
0: 100 yeah I, I, that's definitely what he's done there at harvard he's built that uh that environment that culture and uh, you can just see the success that you guys have had uh uh dating back several years now, but uh, but Penn did manage a little mini victory there. Uh, uh.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> which, which <was laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's good for college squash to have a lot of competitive uh, programs. And it's really exciting to see a uh, Gilly who's somebody that I looked, I've looked up to for years, mm. kind of start to find that secret sauce, having guys that like Ali Abu that are, that are in the mix, that love the game and they build a culture that's just contagious. Yeah. And so you can see that, like last year, was just like the clash of two titans both teams could have deserved the, the national title uh and that's really that was the first time in a few years you've seen that where two teams really did deserve it and it came down to just like the match on the day And yeah. it, was, it was it's exciting i i loved it i was there i was there to watch like spencer and i were commentating on like one of the matches but the finals we were just watching it and it was just electric atmosphere and i think it's great for the for the college game
0: yeah, one hundred percent, and the individuals too. I mean, anybody could have won that. I, uh, I mean, a guy like, uh, you know, you know how talented uh, Ibrahim uh, Yusuf Ibrahim is. I mean, I, I just yeah, figured, yeah. I just figured he'd win, but no.
1: <laughs> I mean, everyone figures that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that just goes to show, like, you know, when I was a sophomore, the number four in our team won the nationals.
0: Right. Who Who is that? At the, David my- Ryan. David Ryan. Okay. Yeah.
1: And so, and like Yusuf Ibrahim was in that draw, you know, like Andrew Douglas, Kush Kumar, Sonaldine. They were yeah. all in that draw. Ashley Davies was in the draw yeah. and, you know, our number four player wins it. So it's like in, in one, in one tournament like that, so much can happen. There's so many great players and it's different when you're playing for your school, you know, the names kind of go away. It's about like, who's, who's tough, who wants to do it for their friends. And that year David Ryan was on a mission.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I enjoy so much. And I think the, that what gets lost in U S college squash right now, and I don't maybe not so much now, but it's just so deep and there's so much talent there that it's actually a good, a good time for you to develop your game. And also, you know, obviously get a, a great education as well, but you're not missing out on the squash, are you?
1: Absolutely. There was a, there was like a debate on, I think it was on Twitter like a year ago or something where someone goes, is college squash good for PSA or something like that or that or vice versa. And I was like, this is the dumbest debate. Because college squash obviously would be a great thing. You'd want kids to have all their options open if they can. If a player wants to go to college, you want them to be able to and not have to sacrifice other stuff. It's not like they're closing the door on their professional career, as we've seen. So I think it's amazing to see uh, players really realize that top players in the world now are wanting to come to the U.S. or to whatever nation and and really study and keep the door open. Because I think that's the best thing for kids in general or, or young adults, is that they keep as many doors open as they can and they're not closing the squash door. So, cause things change so fast between 18 to 22, you yeah. could have somebody that was one of the best players in the world as a junior. That's all of a sudden is like, you know what, maybe I don't want to do this or maybe they do. And I think it's better that they have the option up until the very last moment. And I think that's, that's what we're starting to see in college is that players that are just, they don't have to be thinking about the pros. Even they can just be doing what's right in front of them, staying in there, not sacrificing on the college experience and if they want, they're able to go play at a very high level on the tour. And I think you're starting, you're seeing that more and more often now.
0: Yeah, I think I mean, a lot of a lot of the players, the women and the men, even, you know, there are university students in Egypt, in the UK, uh, Assal's going to university. Uh, mm-hmm. Gohar just graduated. Uh, I think uh, fr- uh, from universities in in, uh, in Egypt, uh, in the UK, and also in, in the US. So I think most of the players are are taking education, uh, their educations very seriously is obviously along with their, their squash. Now, Timmy, before you go, I, I know Dimitri and you are, are good buddies. And uh, I'm just going to ask you this question here. Uh, he's, has he asked you yet to, uh, has he cast you yet in any of his uh, uh, feature films?
1: Oh, I haven't heard about this. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here.
0: No. Uh, he has two feature films out. Uh, you haven't seen those ones yet? Uh, the, no, I haven't the, seen them. I haven't seen them. The one—it's uh, like the sequel to um, Top Gun. Have you seen that
1: one? Oh, I might, I might have. To, I might have to do some online digging here. I haven't. I haven't okay, seen no, no,
0: ones. no. Yeah, he—it's he, his version or, or the remake or something of Top Gun. Top Gun
1: Maverick, Top Gun Legit.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Top Gun Legit. That's right. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's uh, and, and then there's another. I think it's uh, Miami Vice uh, as yeah. well.
1: I might have to send him my resume. I think
0: he should. I mean, I'm I'm surprised he hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't cast you yet. Um,
1: No, I haven't gotten the nod. haven't gotten the nod.
0: No. um, But uh, so what are you up to uh, after this? Uh,
1: Well, the rest of the day now we're going to have off. So I get to finally rest. We got crushed this week in training. So. uh, Okay. Yeah. So it'll be good. you. yeah, Bengi Benji was actually pretty nice, but Bridget. Bridget was crushing us this week in in the right. gym because it's a it was a mini off season for us since uh since Hong Kong for me at least right. where right. I might not be able to play Tournament of Champions because I'm like you know third or fourth reserve, so okay. it'll probably be like a coin flip. So I, I didn't have to play until maybe Motor City Open. I might play or I might play uh, squash on fire, which is the bronze event. Right. So when you have that much time, like, and I still need so much work physically, uh, we're just really hammering the gym right now. So. That's going to be like the plan for the next two, three, four weeks, and then we're going to really—it'll be a mad dash, just playing big events, getting in the mix from February until probably, probably June. You know, May or June. Are there quite event, a few
0: kind of events coming up for you uh, during that? I know right now there's a bit of a lull, but maybe uh, after the TOC, you've got. Uh, yeah, I'm
1: thinking. I'm, right now, I'm like first or second reserve for Motor City Open, so it'd be cool to start with Motor City. Okay. Um, but if I don't play that, then the first event I'd probably play would be Squash on Fire, which is a bronze. That's in February yeah. as well. Uh, and then there's going to be a lot of events. Hopefully I'll be in the mix in some of the Platinums. Like I know there's, there's Black Ball, there's British Open. There's a few others that I would, I would love to be in, but it's going to be close. So I'm going to have to play while I'll get my ranking up because I'm right on that borderline. So we'll, we'll see how it turns yeah. out.
0: Well, uh just want to wish you all the best, Timmy. I know you're right there. So keep up the good fight and uh, really appreciate your time today and uh, great talking to you.
1: Yeah, great talking to you, Jerry. Thanks for having me out.
0: Well, many thanks to Timmy for that. Uh, He definitely ticked all the boxes there. Um, Really uh, forthright, entertaining, uh, interesting chat we had. Uh, So I just want to thank him, and hopefully uh, we can get him back on in the not-too-distant future. Now, just to revisit a couple of things that we touched on, uh, the British Open, and definitely it's received some really good coverage on social media. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen as much uh, coverage, uh, especially just sort of on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, the PSA, and uh, the squash, uh, the limited squash media websites that we have are all covering it as well. But there's plenty uh, on social media, and it's great to see everyone so enthusiastic about the event. Once again, uh, Egypt dominating uh, 14 of 20 finalists. Unbelievable. No Egyptians in the under 19 boys final, but that was to be expected. I think the world junior. Finals uh, from last year Uh, didn't uh, have an Egyptian in that, but uh, the rest of the event and coming up through under 13, under 15, under 17, men's and uh, the boys and girls... uh, dominant uh, Egyptian performances. Uh, congrats to all the finalists and winners, and it bodes well. Also, there, there are a couple of uh, Pakistani promises, as well as uh, a Amer- uh, very talented young American who won the girls' uh, under-17 uh, final, Madison Ho. Uh, also an American uh, in the under thir- boys' under-13 final, Carlton Capella. Really uh, good job uh, there as well. Uh, but don't look now. The winner of the uh, the boys under fifteen final, Essal Marwan Essal. So uh, he's coming up through. He was seated second and ended up winning uh, that one. So, which uh, sort of brings me to something else I mentioned uh, with Timmy, which is the rumor. Which uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, like you know, a strong rumor or a, from a reliable source or not. But I did see uh, on social media, and it got some. Uh, quite a few people commenting on it, uh, that there's another Mustafa Assal ban that's forthcoming. Um, Now, this uh, was a post that I read, and and a very reliable source, actually, has told me that they're could be some truth to it, but uh, I don't want to reveal the source, but a reliable one, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see. He wasn't sure um, you know, what was going to happen, but there could be some truth to it. Uh, with these bans, uh, there's never really uh, all that much transparency. You just hear about it, you hear about a ban, and then there's really nothing said uh, from the PSA side, so I'm not sure uh, what it could be related to. It might be related to the uh, um, serum incident where where he hit Lucas uh, with the ball but that didn't seem sort of worthy, it was sort of an accident and uh, definitely not intentional maybe there were a couple of incidents uh but uh, after that where officiating became involved but uh, Mustafa never really uh he never really gets heated with the with the officials so i can't see it being that so i'm not really sure uh where the ban uh what the ban is related to nor do i expect to hear if we if he is banned because there's never really as i said that much transparency when it comes to bans you think there would be but uh at any rate, it won't impact the Houston Open, which is coming up, and there's some serious implications in the world rankings, uh, given uh, unfortunately the the re- withdrawal of current world number one Ali Farag. And I think, as many of you probably already know, if Mustafa Assal wins the event, he'll become the new world uh, number one. And then there's also a scenario which I think, uh, which I read about, uh, where if Mohammed El-Sharbagi wins. And Mustafa loses in the earlier rounds, I think up to the semi-final. If he loses from the semi or earlier, then incredibly, the Beast could regain the number one spot. So there's plenty to look forward to as PSA resumes. In Houston in a few days' time, uh, so uh, lots to look forward to. Then we have the T.O.C. upcoming after that. Not sure if Ali uh, will be playing in that one or not. But uh, if he pulled out of Houston, he's either uh, resting up for for T.O.C. or uh, he'll probably have to end up pulling out of Houston. Now, I wouldn't think if he was uh, at all healthy that uh, he would want to give up his uh, number one ranking and. Uh, by pulling out of, out of the event So it still mustn't be fully healed uh, Is my uh, best guess But uh, everyone uh, many thanks For listening and don't forget to share These episodes with your friends With your sparring partners at your club uh, In your squash community On social media and also If you feel uh, like doing so Please drop a donation in the PayPal link on the SoundCloud uh, Page which is where One of, one of the platforms That we uh, use to uh, host our all our episodes SoundCloud, Spotify, they're everywhere on every uh, podcast uh, platform. Take care, everybody. We'll be talking to you very soon with another episode upcoming. Goodbye now.